0: Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Audio-Technica, Loughton Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 129.
1: Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux.
0: Well, thanks, Chuck. And hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 129 you're listening to. Yeah, my voice is a little worn out. I can already hear it. That's okay. It's at the end of the day. It's a Saturday night. It's 1030. Everybody in the house is asleep, including the dog. The dog is snoring up a storm. And so here I am doing the podcast because tomorrow is my wife's birthday. And I thought, I shouldn't do the podcast tomorrow because that's my wife's birthday. So spending the day in in my studio, you know, editing and working on the show is probably not the best way to spend anybody's spouse's birthday. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so here I am. So, of course, it's late at night. There's no coffee. Well, I mean, there is coffee. I can make coffee, but I'm not going to make coffee at 1030 at night. So I have a nice freshly cracked open beer in front of me. So in just traditional studio fashion, here I am with beer in hand at the end of a long day. So that's my story. (laughs) What the hell are we doing today? I have a great guest for you, as usual. I have on Mr. Brad Smalling. Brad has a studio in uh, Evergreen, Colorado, and that's outside of Denver. About, mm, I think he said it was about a half an hour, 20 20 minutes, something like that. Anyways, he's got Evergroove studio, which is located out in, in, in this town, Evergreen, that I'm talking about. And the interesting thing, well, there's many interesting things about it, but uh, it's a Westla Show design room or studio that uh, Brad has. And he runs the studio with his wife. She plays a part in that, too. So uh, we have to give her a shout out. But um, it's a studio designed by Westla Show. That's interesting in itself because there's been two, possibly three other guests on Working class audio in its history, where Wes Show designed the room. The other interesting thing about this place is that it's solar powered. Capacity wise, I think Brad says he's up to like seventy five percent. When the studio wasn't as busy, he said he was up to like ninety two percent. I'm maybe spacing on the numbers, but anyways, he now has the ability to double the capacity, which we'll talk about in in the interview here. So uh, yeah, uh, Brad Smalling of Evergroove Studio coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. You should, uh, in the meantime, well, whether you do it now as you listen to this or whether you do it afterwards, head on over to evergroove.com and check it out. Great website, cleanly laid out, really nice-looking place. And, um, yeah, so anyways, Brad Smalling coming up. Let's try that beer. Mm. If you all listen to the show, you can tell I'm like, a little tired. I swear this is my first beer. So, and I just cracked it open. So I'm not drunk doing the podcast, no drunk podcasting. So yes, yes, I'm tired because the front part of the day was spent celebrating my youngest son's birthday, who is turning nine. We celebrate his birthday a little earlier because he's late. Technically his birthday always falls at the end of the school year, uh, the latter half of the month so that, um, school gets out and then his birthday happens. So Obviously, that's a difficult thing to have a birthday party if all of your friends have disappeared for summer vacation. So we were at a, uh, a place today uh, here in California that uh, it's a it's a place called Boomers. And it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend this to any other parents out there. but It's cool in one way. It's basically uh, it's it's got a little bit of a Chuck E. Cheese vibe, games, pizza. You know, you come in, you do your birthday, they take care of everything. The place, here's here's my my trouble with it. The place is insanely loud. The kids are loud to begin with, not just my kid, my kid and his friends, but all the kids combined, all the machines, all the announcements going over the speaker. It's like, you know, I don't know. I can't explain it. It's just loud. And I fortunately reached into my back pocket looking for my phone, reached to my back pocket and was like, oh, my phone's not there, but there is a pair of earplugs. How about that? And that's, I tell you, I, I, I'm sure you all notice it. You go places and it's just insanely loud everywhere all the time. So protect your ears. That's what I'm trying to say. Protect your ears and seek shelter from from the loud things. I tell you, my neighbor was driving me bananas today chainsaw like i don't know it sounded like he was just out there revving the chainsaw for the sake of revving the chainsaw and i was just going batshit crazy i was just ready to go over there and say you know what (laughs) give me that thing but that wouldn't have been cool super nice neighbor but man his chainsaw was just i don't know what the hell he was doing well he was cutting tree parts down i guess that's what he was doing so um yeah environments noisy environments makes me realize that someday when i retire if that ever happens i'm going to have to just you know do so in a very remote place because i'm just going to become a grumpy old man in the process so so yeah loud environments drive me absolutely nuts today loud places to celebrate birthdays loud neighbors loud everything everything's just loud so there that's my complaint for the day buy a big canister of earplugs you know go to the the CVS or the Walgreens or whatever and buy yourself a, uh, a ginormous thing of earplugs and keep it around spread them around. I drive my wife nuts because when laundry is getting done in our house, earplugs are falling out of the dryer and winding up on the floor. It's, you know, the loudness drives me crazy while the earplugs on the floor, that drives her crazy. So uh yeah, watch that. But you know, the thing is too, I, I, I'm all for buying the custom earplugs if you want. That's cool. Those are expensive though. And I've bought two pairs in my time, lost them both, lost the second pair probably within three days of getting them. I have no idea where they're at. And it just, that, talking about driving me crazy, that drives me crazy. Spending that kind of money on earplugs and then having them disappear or having them or losing them, just being careless with them. Let's see what else do I want to tell you about. Uh, so, Universal Audio, sponsor of the show, they are doing this thing that I've been telling you about, and it's uh, this is the last month for it, so I want you to make sure you jump on it. That is the uh, the Apollo thing, the Apollo Rack Dream Studio, where basically you can get in upwards. This is not you know you don't buy one and get this, but if you buy more than one, you can get in up, upwards of thirty five hundred dollars in plugins free, which is an offer that ends on June thirtieth of 2017. So head on over to uaudio.com, And if you scroll down, you'll see this little banner. Let's look at that little banner here. Yeah. Apollo rack dream studio. Click on that, read all about it. Like I say, June 30th is the cutoff time. So you can buy an Apollo eight duo or an Apollo. F- you can buy an older Apollo firewire if you want, or you can buy a newer Apollo eight P or Uh, One of the, you know, so it's basically the silver face or the black face, and uh, you get various combinations of plugins. Maybe you're setting up a studio and you're thinking about, you know, putting together a group of Apollos as your front end of your your DAW. This would be the uh, time to do that if you want to get these plugins and get that get that much in value out of those plugins. So uh, yeah, head on over to uaudio.com, check that out, and do it before the deadline. Yeah. Make sure you make those purchases before the deadline. That would be important. You could tell I'm not as upbeat as I normally am with the coffee. It's like, oh, he's drinking beer during the podcast. So he's a little more relaxed and he's super tired, but he's doing it anyway. So, mm. so there, that's how I'm doing it today. Uh, I mentioned it before. I want to mention it again. The subforum, uh, gearsleds.com, known as Audio Life, we're sponsoring that. So go and check that out. Some topics there I think you'll... If you like this podcast, you'll like this forum because a lot of the same topics are discussed. That's why we're sponsoring it. That makes total sense. So check that out. That's over at Gearsluts.com. Uh What else did I want to tell you? I guess that's about it. All right. So enough of my rambling here at uh, late night, late Saturday night, as I do this, and uh, let's let's get on with this interview. I want you to check check out what Brad Smalling's got going on. So let's do that right now. Brad Smalling here on the Working Class Audio Podcast.
1: Well, first of all, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Uh, looking at your roster of podcasts, this is a real honor. I'm grateful to, to be on, so thank you. Your situation in Colorado is really, really
0: interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, you are located in Evergreen, is that right? Correct. And so that's like west of Denver, by what, 15 15 minutes, 15 miles?
1: It's a little farther than that. We're probably 33 miles from downtown. It averages about 45 minutes. Okay. And uh, it's it's an unincorporated little area Uh uh,
0: located in Jefferson County. The audience is probably saying, what does that mean, unincorporated? Well, basically, all the services usually provided by a city's government are provided by multiple agencies. And in your case, I think the county maintains the roads, mm-hmm. oversees planning and zoning, provides primary and secondary education through the school district, and provides law enforcement through its sheriff, sheriff's office. Uh, the population is pretty small, too. Uh, looks like around, uh, in, as of 2010, it was
1: 9,038. Oh, wow. See, I had no idea. It's a question that comes up often. Mm-hmm. Oh, how big is Evergreen? And we, we always guessed maybe 20, but to know it's only 10, is, is, uh, that's a lot smaller than I thought it was. And it was settled in 1859.
0: That sounds about right. As far as your setup, your studio, you have a Wes Show design studio. We do. And we do have a Wes Showroom.: room. Wes has his
1: hands in many guest studios on, on my show. Wes is amazing. He's a, a madman when it comes to acoustics and just a genius and an artist when it comes to design. His rooms are beautiful and he has such a passion for audio. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really shows in the studios that he builds.
0: The other interesting thing for you is your studio is powered by solar by about 95, 92%.
1: We are solar powered. It's a little bit less than it used to be. Just uh, through the years, as we've gotten busier, we use the studio more. And we don't have a battery bank. We're grid tied. Mm -hmm. Um, We just weren't sure the best way to implement those batteries. And we're still not 100% sure that, that we really know how to recycle those batteries. I, I don't know that we do. So it was this kind of this thing. We, we want to be solar for the obvious reasons. We like the renewable energy aspect. It's important to us. And by us, I mean me and my wife, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, but by now, we probably would have had to replace those batteries already twice. And we start to wonder what kind of footprint that really has. Okay. And so we, so we, when we first opened, we were a little slower. And uh, our very first summer, I think our largest electric bill was about $5. Um, wow. Yeah, it was significant. I mean, very, very significant. That's obviously gone up as the studio has gotten busier, but we planned ahead. And this was uh, something that our installer saw coming. And so what he did was he spec'd a larger inverter so that we can double the amount of panels at any point in time. And that is a plan that we are actively working on.
0: So for the obvious reasons, as a studio owner, the electric bill is always a factor, especially for larger, well, it doesn't matter what size you are. If you own a console like an SSL, Mm -hmm. that requires an immense amount of air conditioning to keep everything cool. So power is always an issue and it's always an expense that you know, is one of the things that studios fail, many studio owners fail to factor in. It's true. Until they get that. And if you've got an SSL studio, which I know you don't, you have a no, Soundcraft, Soundcraft 6000, so you're in a right. little bit different uh, power requirement bracket. But still, long story short, you got a big console like an SSL, you're going to have a big power bill. You, But even still, you have a studio, you're mm-hmm. using power. So having the solar helps offset that. But now that you're busy, right? so how, how does what is the average bill looking like these days?
1: I'm not exactly sure the amount. Um, I'll be honest, I don't see that bill. That's uh, one thing that Jenny beautifully handles is the, the income, which is probably one of the reasons why we're still open. Otherwise, I would have bought a bunch of microphones and just ran ourselves into the ground. But, uh, um, but we're probably, if I had to guess, we're probably more like 75% now. So we, we do need to get those panels installed. That would... That would really, really benefit us. Um, And with that, uh, one thing that I think a lot of studio owners, especially new studio owners, don't take into consideration is um, the human body just produces heat. And there are times when, even though I don't have an SSL, with the console and you put uh, five or six band members in a room, plus me, plus any outboard gear, we're running the air conditioner even in the winter a lot of times. So there's 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 a tricky balance there. Um, with environmentals and with regards to air conditioning. And, and the air conditioner is probably our biggest, cons- consumes probably the largest amount of energy at our studio.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. How does being in Colorado at that altitude affect energy usage? It pl- is that a factor at all that you're aware
1: of? I don't know if that's a factor. If, you, if we were to get into propane, uh, natural gas, things like that, those already burn less efficient at altitude. So you got to think about that when you're buying your appliances. If you buy a a 90% efficient appliance, but the gas that you burn only burns 85% efficient at this altitude, you already have a loss in that efficiency out of the gate. And we do have a uh, the heater for the studio is powered by natural gas. Yeah, so it does. The altitude can affect your environmentals to that to a degree. But the flip side of that is, if we're having a nice day and it's it's a pretty low load on the studio because we are at 8,300 feet, so it's just a cooler temperature in general. Like today, it's slightly overcast. It's probably 55 degrees out there. I could just turn on the fan that circulates fresh air from outside and keep things comfortable for mm-hmm. people. I was looking at the
0: um, at the climate. Wikipedia is giving off an elevation of 70, uh, 7,220 feet Mm -hmm. where they took this measurement. But, you know, just looking at your weather year round, uh, I'm curious how looks, looks like basically June and July, June, July, and August, according to this show that you have, uh, zero average inches of snowfall, but the rest of the year it's showing, you know, uh, basically you've got at least three inches at the least, mm-hmm. uh, and then on the high, it looks like 18 inches of, of snowfall in a given month. And I don't know if that is your experience, but that's I'm just reading off, like I say, reading off this Wikipedia uh, climate report for Evergreen. So how does the snow affect the solar panels?
1: That's a great question. Um, being at this altitude, obviously, we're closer to the sun. And for Wikipedia to report 7,200 feet roughly, um, that's evergreen kind of what we would call it evergreen proper or downtown evergreen. We're actually at 8,300 feet. We're another 1,000 feet higher. And there's, a, there's kind of a shift that happens above 7,000 feet, it seems, where we have a tendency to get a little bit more snow. For example, we just had a 14-inch snowstorm two weeks ago, pretty much centered in this area at this elevation. Um, now, as far as the panels go and being closer to the sun, now we do get a lot of, even though we have a lot of snow, we have a lot of sunny days. And so the panels warm up very, very quickly and the snow sloughs off pretty quick. So there might be a day where the panels are covered in snow, but usually by the next day, they're starting to clear.
0: I have uh, in-laws, brothers-in-law, sisters-in-law in -in in Boulder and and Lone Tree. They both have solar panels on their roof and they, I think they do kind of a, a fixed- I can't remember what the financial arrangement is, but I think it's like a fixed amount that they pay or something like that. What's your, what's your arrangement? Do you own those panels? Do you pay, pay for them monthly or what's,
1: how does that work? We actually own our panels. We don't have to pay monthly. We put them in about a year after the studio was open. So maybe nine, eight, nine years ago. And during that time, the state of Colorado was working with the local utility company, Xcel Energy to offer incentives, rebates, things like that. So we were able to install those panels and own the panels somewhat affordably. That was before the kind of solar rental companies popped up, these solar city and, and other companies like that. So mm-hmm. that might be what your relatives have. And we haven't, okay. we've wondered about contacting them to see if that would be a good option for them to augment our panels. But we don't know what that looks like because we own all of the other gear. So it's tempting just to buy the other panels and, and just maintain ownership at that point.
0: So your interaction with the power company is, is that you can feed energy back
1: into the grid uh-huh. and, and that offsets your bill. Right. And that was a requirement in order to get the rebate. There was a voters uh, back probably 10 years ago now said, hey, we want, we want utility companies to be, I don't remember the exact number, but like 25% renewable by 2020 or something. And this was one thing that they did to get the rebate. You had to be grid tied so that they Ah, got the benefit from that. So then it's, it's a, it's a, it allows them to say our power is, you know, to some degree renewable from these sources as well as other sources. If you think about it.
0: Because they don't want you being technically off the grid. Is that true?
1: Well, I mean, that, that's a, that's a whole different topic, but there are, there are people that have tried to go off grid and, and um, I guess some pushback on that.
0: Because I think Jack Johnson, the musician Jack Johnson, uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm to understand he has an off the grid studio in Hawaii. I believe so. Uh, that's obviously solar powered. So. Uh-huh. so anyways, solar powered studio. Very cool. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Do you own your building?
1: We do own the building. So the building itself is on our property. It's not a home studio in that it's in our home. It's a, it's, it's a home based studio in that it's a separate building about 100 feet from the house. So... We own the building. We own the home. It's it's ours. And
0: zoning wise, is there any challenges there? No, that's pretty straightforward. Wow, you are in what I think they call the pole position, which is just <laughs> you own the building, you own the solar pa- uh, panels. Mm-hmm. So, and then and and it's you and your wife. You're you run the recording end of things, and your wife runs the business end of things. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah, she doesn't really have. She loves music. Shares a passion for music, but doesn't have a passion for the technical side of it. It's something that she doesn't want to be involved with at all. So she assists with the, um, yeah, with the, the the business end, so to speak. I still handle scheduling, estimates, things like that, because she she doesn't always know, okay, you get the call. How long is it going to take to record a 10 song album? Like, well, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions that go along with that. But she helps with the um, with all the business end, gathering things for the CPA, stuff like that. She does still have a day job. That's real important right now because the studio itself, although successful, wouldn't be enough income for both of us. So we're still a two-income family.
0: Okay. Your interaction with Wes Lashow, mm-hmm. um, did you? how did you get introduced to, to
1: him? Well, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a fun story and it's kind of long. I'll try and keep it concise. I was uh, starting to design Evergroove back in around 2003 and we opened mm-hmm. in 06, maybe 2002. And I was visiting the acoustics forum at recording.org. If anybody remembers, I think that website's still kicking around. And Wes was a moderator. So I was studying the Everest books and I had, I had taken measurements of this building and was doing these designs and everybody, you know, everybody share their designs. Like, what do you think of this? And Wes would post these great little comments, very supportive, but educational. Like, I don't think you've really considered having a control room in this particular location. Keep trying or, you know, like like little tidbits of or you might want to look at this aspect of your design. Go back to the drawing board. Try again. And I sent him a message and I just said, uh, hey, I really like kind of how you present yourself, your style, what you're saying. I've looked at a couple of the studios you've done. What would it cost to do? And this is all in private message. What would it cost to, for you to design our studio? And the funny thing is, he said, I don't know that I want to do that. And I says, "What do you mean?" And I, he goes, "I kind of like this mentoring thing that we have going on. It's it's really cool." And I went, <laughs> "Oh, that's cool!" Like because he was just really having fun, just teaching and in, in the back and forth. Um, and I said, "That's awesome," but and I and and I appreciate that. Well, we'd like to open sooner than maybe ten years because <laughs> it was just taking a long time. Because it it was because I was learning acoustics at that point, really. And he goes, well, let me kick it around, and then he came back and he goes, yeah, all right. He goes, let's get on the phone and talk about it. So we got on the phone, we talked about it, and and then you can kind of advance. He sent us his rate and sent us the contract, and Jenny and I went to dinner and talked about it. And the one thing that we noticed was, well, it seemed like anybody that built one of his studios, like built a show showroom, had had work, was working. You'd see them. There was this trend. You'd see them active on the forums and things like that. And I'm building, and you'd see the kind of them blogging about the build with photos and everything. And then suddenly they're offline Yep. They're, and then they're, they're busy and they're, they're doing records and they're doing projects. And, and we said, you know, and we were trying, we were just trying to, well, we just in over our heads. Acoustics is really, the basics are straightforward, but when you get into some of the more tricky things on, you know, how to, how to properly handle a reflection free zone control room, things like that, it just, you, you can really, really screw it up. And we said, if we want to do this right, this is the right thing to do. We need to do this. And I, and I, and I say this with no financial gain, hiring Wesley show to do this room was the best money I've spent hands down, regardless of equipment. That was the best thing I could have done for this business.
0: I'm trying to pinpoint the other guests who have been on Scott Wiley, WCA number 94. And Kurt Blue, oh yeah, I uh Kurt Blue, episode number one fifteen, God City. I think yep. those are two. Yeah, God City. Yep. Scott's place in Utah is June audio recording. I don't so, know that
1: one. I'll have to look that one up.
0: Yeah, I, I believe if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that conversation. In fact, yeah, it's in my show notes. Yeah. Um, so both of those guys also have Wes Show design rooms. I think I got to have Wes on. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think you absolutely should. He's, he's, he's so much fun to talk to, and he's so passionate that it, it would be an incredibly informative and entertaining podcast. And what's interesting about Kurt Ballou's spot is he, Wes Show's designs have advanced dramatically in the past 10 years, and Kurt completed his room right about the same time as mine. And they're so similar that occasionally a photo of a band in Kurt's studio will pop up in my Facebook feed and I'll look at it and go, I don't recognize that pedal board. Like, what is, what's going on? Who is this? And I, and I look and it's it's Kurt's, it's Kurt's place. So we joke, I say we, I mean, he and I don't talk often, hardly at all. I just joke that it's our sister studio because it's, if you look at the photos, it's it's frighteningly similar.
0: Well, that brings up an interesting possibility because... Let's say Kurt wanted to work with a band in Colorado Mm -hmm. or you wanted to work with a band at Kurt's Place. And off the top of my head, I can't remember where Kurt's Place is. He's in Salem. That's right. That's right. You two could actually just, you know, acoustically, if you're familiar with the the room, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you could each swap places. And so did Wes offer you a number of different design possibilities or did he say, no, this is what you got to do?
1: Funny thing is, is he, so he flew out. We flew on a Friday, and I think he was flying out a Sunday night or a Monday. And we we get here, and we we get him unpacked, we get him settled in. He stayed with us over the weekend, and we bring him out to the building. We set up a folding table, and then he just he just sits down in front of the table, and he's like, "All right, I'm just going to kind of take it all in." And we went, "No, okay," kind of very you know sage like, <laughs> just very very, Yoda. very very. I'm just going to sit here and kind of you know, like take it all. In. And he did. He just. Kind of sat there in the doorway of the building and looked out in the property. We're fortunate to have four and a half wooded acres, and so it's very serene and kind of comforting. And we, we thought it was gonna be a long process. And about four hours went by. I don't remember exactly, but maybe a half day went by. And then he just walked in and goes, I got it. You wanna see it? <laughs> like, you gotta be freaking kidding me, really? Like, yeah, of course. So, all right, here we go. We run out, run out here and he lays it all out. And there it was. I mean, there it was. And he used every last square inch of this place as efficiently as he, as he could. And we just said, there's no way we could have come up with that design. And, I, and I, had no, I had no changes. And we were kind of limited to the size of the building. It's only about 750 square feet. So it, it, Wow. Yeah. So, it's not, I mean, it's a generous building, but it's not like a 2,000 square foot building. We're like, oh, well, could we move this here or there? Every last little aspect was used. And it just, it just looked right on paper. So there were, no, there were no changes. So we went to dinner. We kind of celebrated. We were excited. And the next day, he got to work on the actual design, like really starting to put it together because he would hand draw his prints back then. He came to me the next day and said, look, I really, really think we need windows in your live room. You need natural light. And you don't have the isolation problems that you might in the city or, you know, in a, in a larger commercial location. He goes, and I just think it'd be a shame not to have them. And I said, what does that do to the budget? He goes, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up because I don't know how much, but it's going to go up. And, I, and, and we were on a really tight budget. So I remember calling up Jenny and chatting with her. And we, we realized that he was right. It'd be a shame to just have this enclosed building and not be able to look out and see the trees and, and kind of take it all in. And so as I'm talking to you, as we're having this conversation in front of me, um, I'm looking through the control room window into the live room there are three, roughly uh, three by four windows. So 10 feet of my wall, almost nine feet of, of the live room wall is, is, is glass. It looks out onto the trees and it just makes mixing really awesome to take that. in. Yeah.
0: Brad Smalling here on the working class audio podcast. We're going to take our sponsor break with Audio-Technica here. And, you know, I'll just say that, you know, Gary boss and everybody at Audio-Technica has been very supportive of this podcast, um, once I uh, had called him up and said, hey, you know, Gary, I'd like to try out the BP40 for use on this podcast that I do, you know, called Working Class Audio, blah, blah, blah. And he sent me out one immediately. And when we uh, talked about, you know, the growing podcast, he was like, hey, man, I really like what you're doing. And we think it's really cool. We think it's very uh, grassroots. And we would love to, you know, help support you and uh, cover some of the uh, the expenses that you encounter uh, in doing the podcast. So. You know, this is just kind of me telling you. uh, I hope that uh, you all can take the time to maybe visit their website, show them some support. They've been very supportive of the podcast here. Very ubiquitous products across many different aspects of the audio world, whether it's turntables or headphones or microphones, uh, whether you do installs or location sound or studio work or live sound, you know, Audio-Technica is definitely uh, playing a part in the world of many audio professionals. So just want to encourage you to head on over to audio-technica.com. Have a look around if you haven't before. If you're new to the audio world, maybe you're a student take a look and uh, see what you think. They make a lot of great products and they make a lot of great products in what I would say are, they're high class products, but they're also very working class because they are affordable and not out of reach. Very, very well-made products at that. So let's get back into it here. Let's talk again to Brad Smalling here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. I want to ask you about You've brought Jenny up a couple times yeah. and obviously she's involved in the financial aspects yep. of this. Tell me uh, about the importance of your relationship on communication with regards to the studio. Cause obviously you're the engineer. It's, it's, you know, you're the one recording these bands mm-hmm. and you seem to have your, your wife's, not only her ear, but her support. I think that that's super important. It is. I'm curious about your Perspective on that or comments on that
1: that's a really great question um i couldn't i don't think I could do this without her support I think that's really important and to give her that credit because that credit is due she is so supportive of the studio and so patient and excited about the studio and we talk about the studio and, and the business a lot and where are we going to go and what are our goals it's always a um, it's definitely a team thing it's not that's your studio. That's your thing. You handle it. She wants it to succeed, and because of that, I want it to succeed even more. And then we feed off of that together, and and it becomes a very strong team effort. We we have business meetings once a week uh, when we sit down, and we just recently brought on a social media uh, marketing to call him a social media marketing expert sounds like a buzzword, but it it is a, a good friend of ours who understands audio. And he does specialize in social media, but we just brought him on and we're doing monthly meetings, all, like all three of us with him. And she's very involved on a day-to-day basis and wants to be involved. And it's that support that you're right is really, really, really important. And it's, uh, as a lot of small business owners probably understand, it can be taxing at times. It can be stressful. A lot of times bands will stay with us because of our location and we, they, we treat it like a retreat. And that's something that we wanted to offer and that we have offered since day one. Where you can come and stay with us for four days while we record your record or, or whatever. And you know, we're a, we're a married couple and occasionally married couples have spats. And so if you have a little spat or a little tiff, but then you got a band in the, in the, in the house, you can't, you, it goes on. You just kind of look at each other like, okay, we'll talk about this later. You can, Don't <laughs> argue in front of the children. <laughs> kind kind of right. Um, we kind of, we do it's funny well, you say that because we joke people go, are you guys, so you guys didn't have kids? Like, are you kidding? We have musicians. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like borrowing
0: people's children. They just show up and you get paid, actually. Yeah, they like, like, yeah, here. you it's
1: like a babysitter. Here, you take them. <laughs> so the, the couples aspect, I think, is one of the key factors that, that we're still open and still growing. We have this nice, slow, steady growth every year as a business that's measurable. You can see it. You can do the QuickBooks report thing and go, cool. Without you know, if she wasn't for it, if I didn't have her support, then I I would be really I wouldn't say alone, but it would it would really be just me. And as the business grows, you really you really need that support and you need that help. And for her to want to do that is just means the world to me. And and I think is one of the key reasons we're still in business.
0: By the way, your website looks great. It's very easy to navigate. It's very clean. Thank you. Uh, Lots of information, um, but not over. I don't feel like I'm reading endless text, which can be the case sometimes. You offer some recording workshops.
1: We've started uh, that. That is correct. That's that's fairly new for us. How's that going? Actually, it's being very well received. Um, we've done two now with Alan Evans. Uh, the first one was dedicated to recording a band live in a room, just putting players in a room and recording them and understanding the pros and cons of that, and then uh, and then mixing that and then mastering that. And that class was was very well attended, very well received people got very excited about it. Then we took about we're going to do another one we we took some time off to figure out the best way to capture them and we didn't want to just have like throw up some cameras we wanted to try and keep post-production down to a minimum and where we landed was we we just did another workshop with Alan completely dedicated to drum recording, tuning drums, maintaining drums, little things like that that are just Crucial to getting a good drum like performance, right? So, and with that, we haven't really partnered with QSC. Maybe just a close collaboration. A previous intern of ours has gone to work at QSC Audio in Boulder, and they now have these cameras, these really cool pan tilt zoom cameras that are remote controlled via Cat Cat six cable because they're power over Ethernet. So from a from an iPad, he's written an app, maybe an interface is a better way to say it, where he can rotate those cameras, zoom in, all that kind of stuff. And then we have a video switcher. So for the Most recent workshop, we had Ethan in one of the booths constantly cutting between a shot in the kick drum, say, while we're working on cool kick drum techniques, or we had a drummer overhead shot where we could pan to the drummer and then see kind of the whole mic setup or across the room and even one in the control room when people were asking questions. And we're really, really excited to dive into that content because what it's allowed us to do is not then spend two, three, four weeks of spare time pouring through 24 to 30 hours from camera one and then, okay, camera two, camera three, camera four. He's just deciding on the fly. Like, okay. He's, he's essentially, he's mixing it, mixing the video live, mixing the video live, man. And so the cool thing about that is we were sending him a board feed and the board feed had the control room talkback mic. It had audio uh, from Pro Tools. It had uh, the drummer mic from the other room. So if we really wanted to just produce content, we could put that out there, but we're going to, we're going to dive in the audio a little bit more and see if we can bring some levels up and, and even some things out. But we're incredibly excited because it, it's going to allow us to generate workshop content really, really efficiently. When you said
0: QSC, my mind immediately said QSC Amps. Are yep. we talking about the same company? We
1: are. QSC Audio. They, everybody knows them for amps, uh, powered monitors. But what they don't realize is that QSC has a very large business in corporate audio. They do um, conference rooms. They do um, large installs like, like you might see at an amusement park, for example. They have these rack, um, they have these rack mount boxes that have DSP in them, that allow you to okay. do whatever you want to with the audio. And but they're doing cameras. They've just gotten into cameras, and we can we can just talk about this now because I think the first version is on the market. Interesting. And so these little guys can rotate and then zoom, and then wow. they've got a SDI and. Or oh, it's guy's got a SDI and a LAN port, HDMI, and most of hmm. them are power over Ethernet. So the other cool thing about that is I don't have two, three, four camera people running around a room. We have to maximize our space. We have to be really efficient. So we can put these on a mic stand and Ethan can control those from either in here or in a booth or whatever. He can actually have it rotate, look up and zoom in, which is really, really cool.
0: Wow offering a host of services, audio cleanup, transfers, yep. consulting, mastering, mixing, recording, song edits, studio rental. So your studio is open to outside engineers.
1: Uh-huh. And we, okay. have, we have a handful of freelance engineers that come through here a couple times a year. And they just love the space. They love the monitoring environment. It's good for them to get up and out of, out of the city. And we offer a, a reduced rate for freelance engineers, and they get the studio from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., It's a reduced rate because it doesn't involve me. So if they book the studio, then I'm usually inside, then doing, well, maybe I can take a day off. (laughs) Right. Right. But otherwise, it's business development or it's um, working on other things to help progress the business forward. Right. But they're not actually staying at your place. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll bring in a band and, and they'll talk to us about that. And if it's a freelance engineer that we've worked with and they're bringing in a band that we've worked with, then we just have a big old get together while they're here and it's it's really really it's really low-key it's fun doing that you know having having a freelancer in the studio with a band staying sure we have a lot of people staying here but then that allows me to do some of the little things that help make the day-to-day life a little bit easier you know i can i can be the one to you know i can make sure that i'm picking up after the band or or just just keeping the place maintained or or just being a host at that point
0: i'm fascinated by your choice of console sure you The Soundcraft 6000, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a classic console of a certain era, but I never see anybody have it as a a console in in a studio of today. Mm -hmm. My recollection is that they're very robust, Mm -hmm. um, easy to fix. Is that your experience with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that drew me to the 6000 is when we were opening the studio, there was a friend of mine that was going to put his gear in this studio. I wouldn't necessarily say partner, but we were in a band together and we were recording albums together and he wanted to get out of his basement. So he said, hey, let me help augment your gear and then I'll bring it, I'll, I'll get, and hey, can I use it when I want to? Yeah, it was just kind of this handshake partnership, sort not partnership, this handshake deal whereby he'd locate his gear in here. And one of those things was, uh, he was very familiar with the Soundcraft 600 because he owned one. And so the 6,000 being the bigger brother drew me to that because he already knew. And he's also he's also a tech. He now works for SparkFun. Uh, he worked for Kurtzweil, So he knows how to work on gear. He knows how to design gear. And he was actually uh, the guy behind the EQ, Square State, Solid State. But he was the guy behind the, those EQs. His name was Byron Jaco. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I chose the 6,000. It's because, one, he knew how to work on it. Two, he was going to be in the studio. And so, three, if someone was going to work on it, it was going to be him. Um, and you're right. They are they are robust. Their signal path's fairly clean. They it's aren't very mo- deep. It's modular, right? Uh, it's fully modular. They aren't very deep. You know, like an SSL can be three, four. I mean, they can be, you really have to stand up to reach, to get to the, just the mic trims. And sitting in front of, I'm at the edge of the console right now. I can simply reach my hand out and from one arm length, I can reach the trim. So it's a very shallow console. Mm-hmm. Um, we had it recapped. And I was gonna say, I bet
0: you had it recapped. We had it
1: recapped, we had the master section modified. So there's 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 fancier chips in the master section.
0: Is that uh, a Jim Dickinson? Uh, no, not Jim Dickinson. Sorry, I've got the the name wrong. Who's the guy? Jim Williams. Does Jim Williams? It Jim Williams
1: modded. It wasn't Jim Williams, and the company that did it, um, I'm not going to mention, just because I kind of wish I had gone through Jim Williams.
0: Uh huh.
1: We had some issues where the master module showed up, and there was a ton of just hum and noise. And it went back and forth and it, I, I kind of, I don't regret upgrading it. I regret maybe not choosing someone more well-known.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: Even though this company had a, had a pretty good resume. Um, I'm not so sure the greatest attention to detail was done. And and of course the module shows up. I've got a set, you know, on a Tuesday, I've got a session on Saturday and it was just like, it was a little crazy, but it all got sorted out, um, and that's how I found a local tech. Um, I'm not sure why I wasn't finding him before, but I guess he I guess he he appeared when it, when when he needed to, and his name's Alan Baca, and he's amazing, and he he got us on the right path, and said, "It's kind of funny." He goes, "Don't upgrade your console, <laughs> you know, recap it stuff like that. Like, don't modify it. It's like, if it doesn't do what you need it to do, just get a different one." Like, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he hasn't. Like he goes, you know, you're you're taking you're taking something that was, you know, there was research and development, and it was it was built to a certain spec. You start changing it, and he's like, just just don't. Just he, I mean, he will, but he really doesn't like to. So it was that was kind of funny, but um,
0: it's interesting too because the, being that they're mo- it's it, that it is modular. Mm-hmm. If you run into a situation where a channel goes down, mm-hmm. and you could just pull it out yeah. and ship it off.
1: Exactly. And we've, we've done that where we've had a channel or two get weird. I just t- have an intern just take the two channels down to, down to Alan. He's about an hour away. And then when he's done, we the intern swings by and picks them up and brings them up here. And then we get an invoice in the mail.
0: Does yours have a built-in patch pay?
1: It does. It has the built-in patch bay. It's a right-hand patch uh, bay. It's 30 channel. Yeah.
0: 24 bus. huh. Wow. Cool. So, I mean, very utilitarian board and I'm sure if you bought it used, well, of course you bought it used. You didn't buy it new because they were new in 1988.
1: This one might be stamped 89, but yeah, right in there.
0: If you bought it used, I'm sure you didn't pay that much for it. And because is that not, I mean, really, would you say that's not an in-demand console that people go, oh, I'll I'll get a Soundcraft?
1: Well, the 6,000 was for a hot minute because of Jim Williams. There was a lot, there was a lot of talk on the forums about the upgradability of these consoles. And he kind of excels at that. That's why I kind of regret not hiring him to do it. But there was another company I happened upon and we hired them. And, but that's okay. That's, that's a hindsight thing, right? But, but there was a time when these, were, these would sell very quickly. Mm. Very, very quickly. So to that end, we don't use the console a whole lot these days, which is interesting. Like a lot of, play, oh. like a lot of people, a lot of studios, as we've gotten busier, I might have to recall an album, master something, start mixing on something else all in a day. And it's way, way too much recall sheets, taking videos of gear and things like that. We still use outboard, but we use it more for tracking. But we commit to that tone on the way in, and I've got that, okay, we're good to go. And then a lot of our mixing right now is in the box.
0: But as far as tracking, though, it's a a very uh, functional console for that.
1: I love, I still love tracking with a console just because i can if i want to solo something i can do it very quickly i can push i've got two hands to work instead of. although i'm very quick with pro tools shortcut keys and whatnot there's still that mouse aspect of mousing around and and doing things and and pushing and pulling things
0: if i'm tracking a band having a console in front of me is with number of buses available Mm -hmm. is just it makes my workflow so much faster, and I could just, you know, it's 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 right there in front of you. I don't have to do a lot of work to make it happen. But I like you mix in the box, mm-hmm. and so that's
1: it's, tra- yeah. tracking with the console. You're right; is is fantastic. The workflow. I've got a patch bay built in, so I can just throw audio almost anywhere I want it to go. Um, and I go watch just by a control surface, and I and I just don't want one. I don't I just don't want a bank of eight cheap faders that I can, it's it's just not the same to me. So
0: how do you get your clients in other countries? I got to ask.
1: Well, some of it's a little bit of luck to be completely honest or just right place, right time. The one, the clients we have in South Korea, I met on the tape op forum and they were say they, uh, Tony Boyd of the primary at the time he was in a band called GJ and they were looking for, mix critique and i i just took a listen to it and shot him some notes and uh and he asked he was asking some more questions and i for uh, just on a whim i said do you have the multi-tracks and he goes yeah and i said well if it's not too much do you mind just shooting those to me that way i can actually dig into the tracks a little bit and kind of see if it was a tracking issue or a mixing issue what are we fighting with your mix he was he was happy to do so. And I, I put the mix on the console and brought up all the faders and realized, you know, with just about an hour, I could probably put this mix to right about where I think he's hoping to hear it. And then I could, not in an attempt to get his business, it was just kind of funny, but in an attempt to better educate him and say, hey, here's what I found. Here's what I found. Here's what I found. And so I did up, I think I spent two hours on just kind of a, pre, what I might call, not a rough mix, not a final mix, maybe a pre-mix. We've kind of started to feel out that EQ and compression and then just kind of throw it over, throw it over to the artist to see what they think. And he wrote back just saying, oh, wow, like I don't even, first, of all, I don't know what to say. This already sounds better. This is what I want to hear. What did you do? I wish I could afford you to mix it. And I said, that's fine. I just want to help you. So I was able to give him better notes. And then GJ broke up as a band, as many bands do. But when the primary formed and they were going in to record, the very first thing he did was hit me up and say, "Hey, heads up, you're mixing our record," and I said, <laughs> "I said okay." He goes, "But I wanna, I wanna get a little recording consultation from you, to make sure that we give you tracks that you want to work with," and that was, um, that was four or five years ago now, and we've done singles with them and and uh, EPs, two albums, um, the master, the mastering clients in London and Italy have been referrals from Alan Evans. We've started doing a lot of mastering for Alan. And as Alan's, mm. then this is how studios can work together. As his studio business has started to grow and he starts referring clients to me, then therefore our mastering business starts to grow. And that's a way that as professionals, we can all work together, which is really, really important, I think, these days.
0: I would agree. I think that's, that is great do you master a lot of the same stuff that you
1: end up mixing? These days we do actually, mostly because there's a, there's a great facility in Denver that's not always affordable for people for mastering, Mm -hmm. but otherwise there's not a lot of great mastering for what people are paying. I think in Denver, that's a bold statement. I'm sorry to sound that way. I don't mean to. Um, And so I, you know, I would, we would, Spend a lot of time in the studio, and you go through the the process of you know miking and getting great capture and getting a great mix, and then it goes out for mastering. And then I would get a phone call: "It sounds worse. We've got to we've got to send it to manufacturing in two days." We trusted this guy. I mean, just you know the stories, right?
0: It's funny, I don't know if you feel this way, but it, the better I get at mixing and the more proud I am of my mixes, that's my number one conversation with the clients mm-hmm. is who's mastering this. Yeah. yeah. Really which is a veiled question of who is potentially going to screw this up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true and it it sounds horrible and I'm not I'm not trying to sound like that guy or think that there's that there's only bad work being done, but there's there's just a lot of studios that kind of immediately open their door and go right into mastering. And maybe some people can do that. But I do think that there's a reason that most mastering engineers are usually a little bit older, a little bit wiser. They have a little bit more time under their belt because they, they've taken the time to learn how to hear things. I think that's really important. That's why we're mastering. It's not just a mastering preset. We're not just making it louder. Our goal is to make the music stand taller, louder, prouder, more assertive, if that's the vibe. And of course, present this for production. Some some of the masters that I'm hearing, and, and now we're getting asked to do a lot of uh, test masters, which is which is fine. You know, hey, will you do you a mean te- shootouts? It's a, it ends up being a shootout. Hey, will you do a test? We're getting some tests from other engineers. And some sometimes I'll say, well want to I w I wanna I wanna hear the other guys first. <laughs> I wanna I wanna I wanna yeah. hear that, I wanna see that, I wanna hear that, I wanna know where you guys are at and what you're looking at, I wanna know what's going on. But not always. And then, if I can, I try to get them in the studio where we can actually do a controlled, like test master here. But I just think I think it's important to kind of put in that time, you know, and um, learn how to hear, learn when not to do something. I think that's really important. When you really realize that maybe you just need to tame the low end a little bit and uh, level match and and hit print, you know, it's it's really tempting to, to to push a to push all the buttons when you have them in front of you. What do you do to further your own education or, or uh, knowledge of audio these days? In my early days, I'd spend a lot of time on forums, not necessarily asking questions, but looking for questions that I thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it moved into reading magazines, reading books. I used to absorb, well, I would often read books. I don't, a lot of times I get busy and then a book sits there for six months, but um Lately, I, what I've been finding inspiring is some of the videos that are coming out, um, just by some of some of the amazing mixers, like the Andrew Shep's videos, are I think really really cool.
0: Uh, they don't pay for advertising, mm-hmm. and I'm there's no arrangement. But I am a subscriber to Mix with the Masters, and I'm going to oh, cool. Mix with the Masters with Chad Blake in September. Oh, that'll be amazing! And the online video series, though, I, I will tell you that I I was very skeptical. And then I watched that and I watched him do his thing and watched Chad and Ed Cherney and all these guys. And I gotta say, like, especially Andrew, I will say, I absorbed a lot of stuff that he does. Mm-hmm. And uh I know it sounds totally silly and very corny, but <laughs> I basically I stole some of his ideas and immediately jumped into mixing a couple bands recently. And the mix notes that I'm getting back are like um oh maybe maybe we could add a little uh top end to the solo you know yeah. like yeah uh, yeah it's stuff like that that i'm getting back now <laughs> that's as fantastic. opposed to well i don't know about the direction and oh, they just yeah, they, yeah. they like it that's that's just, amazing like, yeah so yes i i will agree with you i'm going to just back you up and say yes andrew sheps uh good guy great talent um and really Fun to watch mix.
1: So I haven't subscribed to the Mix with the Masters. You would recommend that? It sounds like
0: yes. And okay. There's a lot of different choices out there. You know, uh, the guys at Pure Mix, I'm a fan of. I, I think they're they're really putting out great content. Mix with the Masters mm-hmm. is uh, Warren Hewitt's putting out great content. There's a lot of competition, we'll say, and there that is. competition as a result is raising the bar on production of these videos. The Mix with the Masters thing is expensive when you look at it at first, but then when you get into it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I mean, I, I know that I, and I joke, I value my Netflix subscription (laughs) and I binge watch, you know, of course, like house of cards and all the shows on there. But let me tell you something. If you're going to invest in yourself, house of cards is not going to teach me how to be a a better, better at what I do. No, not at all. Watch, watching Andrew and Ed Cherney and all, all these guys and Chad, do their thing, and listen to it on my studio monitors. I think I learned a lot in a very short amount of time, even after being at this for you know well over twenty years.
1: Yeah, I the I bought the Pure Mix one, the Andrew Shep's where he mixed Ziggy Marley. That I found that that just thought that was going to be really cool because we work in a lot of different genres, and that one was really just the simplicity in the approach in the mix made me realize that at times I'm simply trying too hard when it, when it really could be a simple solution to something. I just bought the one for his Green Day mix that I haven't watched yet. But another one that was really great was actually Kurt Ballou did one for Creative Live. And that was one of the first videos that I bought where it's kind of a, it was a Gear God presents Kurt Ballou And he goes kind of into his production of a band called Nice Hooves and he kind of deconstructs the process. And it was a... Um, mm-hmm. It was great just to hear him talk about what I loved about that. He didn't immediately dive into Mike's gear, all that kind of stuff. He dove into the business side of things, artist management, how to make artists feel comfortable, how to, how to, how to better conduct a session, how to, how to, because by, by doing those things, you immediately make the artist more comfortable. By making the artist more comfortable, mm-hmm. you get better takes. And by getting better takes, then mixing gets a bit easier. Like there's, there's a snowball effect when you know how to run a session. Um, And it's not always easy to keep that session moving forward and keep it efficient and kind of stuff. So him starting out of the gate like that was just fantastic. Really, really fantastic. And gave, gave me some validation in how we do things, you know, just hearing him say certain things. Like I say that, I say that in the control room. Okay, cool. Um, Sylvia Massey did a really cool one too. I believe that was with creative live as well, where she you go into a studio with her and and, and see her, micing up kind of this punky rock band
0: watching people mix for some could be boring but for me it's really fascinating because it just to see the workflow yep um there was one some time ago with with our friend vance powell and uh vance just to watch him do what he does and just kind of compare and contrast how i do things i really like that because then i can as i do with most of these things and i'm sure you do and many other people do as well is cherry-picking like, oh, well, I'm not a big fan of that concept, but ooh, mm-hmm. I like that. And I'm going to do that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And it's and it allows you to gain some confidence because like you said, you watch it and, and you realize you realize that people do things differently. Everybody mixes differently. We all have the same goal and that's to create an amazing mix, whatever that means to us as audio professionals, but we all have the goal of creating an amazing mix everybody does it differently. And you, you watch a Shep's video or, or a Powell video and you realize, well, I actually don't like the way that sounds, but that's okay because artists like what you do already. So you can just kind of take what you do like from their videos and apply it to your productions. And then your productions get even better. Your mixes get even better. So it's, it's, it, it's almost empowering to watch these.
0: The, you know, the other thing I will say about mix with the masters in their video series is it's not only, you know, deconstructing a mix or whatever, but there's also like these little snippets they provide. And some of the best snippets are from Tony Maserati, um, who musically, I'm not really into a lot of the music that he works on, but his advice yeah. is like, is just golden. Yeah. I, I'm just, How, he, yeah and And one of the things he said that i i, I uh, that sticks in my head is talking about when you have off time, you should be trying out like he would t- he talked about how he would get a hold of a compressor like a plug in, and then he would try everything different instruments in that compressor and going, "Oh oh, that sounds good on kick drum, Oh, not so good on vocal, ooh, <laughs> maybe on bass guitar for this one. Oh, okay, and he would start to catalog all of these concepts and sounds with the gear or plugins that he's dealing with so that when it came time to step up to the plate and mix a song for a high profile artist, he could go, Oh, I know what I'm going to do. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. You know, it's uh, with, with so many plugins out now and them all, all, all manufacturers putting their plugins on sale at, at, you know, really attractive prices. It's easy to buy up plugins and then, and then not really test them out until it's okay, it's time to mix. Oh, well, I got this thing. I I think that's probably great advice to, if you have downtime, if you can find some downtime or, or, or even you buy the plugin, don't maybe immediately use it or maybe do, I don't know, the end of the day, kind of dive into that or just, just push it and pull it a little bit, see what it does. That way you're not doing that at the mix time because then that's mm-hmm. the hour that you spend playing with that plugin, which is valid, it's valuable there. But if you already kind of knew what it did, I can easily see a scenario where you would take a new plug-in, apply it to a kick drum, spend an hour trying to make it sound great because it's supposed to, and then realize that you didn't like that. And you've just lost an hour in your mix. <laughs> so finding that... And we should make, that's a really interesting point, finding off-time. As we get busier as audio professionals, it's tricky because at the end of a 10-hour day in the studio, kind of the last thing I really want to do is play with a plug-in for another hour. I, 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 I kind of want to go... Yeah, I kind of want to go for a hike, or hang out with the wife, or go to dinner, or or do life things. So, um, yeah.
0: or but, binge binge on House of Cards
1: or, on Netflix, or, or or whatever you're, yeah, whatever you're into. Um, so that's tricky. Making it makes me realize. I'm kind of thinking out loud. It makes me realize I need to, I need to create more time for just my own personal education. Because, for example, the Shep's video I bought with the on the Green Day single. I bought it a week and a half ago. I haven't even cracked the seal, so to speak. I saw the preview. Mm. I saw the preview. I knew it was Shep. So like, yeah, okay. Is however much it was. It was like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna get that and I'll watch that one day. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. And if you want to ever go back in
0: time to a completely different way of doing things, I pulled out some CDs the other day in one of those old Case Logic kind of binders. And I went through, and and in the batch of CDs was a DVD, and it was the making of Pump, Aerosmith's Pump, with um, Bruce Fairbairn uh, produced it, and um, he died in um, many many years ago. But anyhow, it it's it's a fascinating documentary to watch, not only of the record making process, but of an old school record making process.
1: Those are there was a really great one. Do you remember? Um, I'm not even sure that you can they're on netflix for a while vh1 did their classic album series i own several of those the the dark side of the moon is fascinating to me where they just sit down and and and, and go through that whole album just blew me away absolutely huh. blew me away and those are those are the ones that i find inspiring and that that inspire me to to, to be more creative to try cooler stuff even if it and it's okay like if it doesn't work it's okay but we tried you know Mm. we pushed some boundaries
0: well we're about out of time so i want to thank you for uh for being on the show we've thank uh, you uh, it's great to hear about what you're doing in in of all places of evergreen colorado which i i'll be honest with you i didn't know where evergreen was i had to look it up and (laughs) figure it out (laughs) oh wow that's outside of denver okay
1: it's a fun Um, little town
0: like of course of course it's outside of denver any any town in colorado is outside of denver technically <laughs>
1: that's right <laughs> um much. big thanks to Mark for recommending me i i i love that guy mark kilborn's amazing
0: yeah we got to thank mark kilborn
1: um, absolutely and thank you for having me on it's just so fantastic
0: absolutely mm-hmm. thanks again
1: thank you okay man see you bye bye
0: brad smalling here on the working class audio podcast Glad to have Brad on and learn about solar power for studios. I think that's so cool. Well, I appreciate you hanging out and uh, listening to my late night rants here on the Working Class Audio podcast this time. Normally, I'm so caffeinated, I'm probably talking a little faster, but uh, hey, you know, late Saturday night with a beer after a long day, well, I'm just a little more relaxed, I'd, I'd say. so. Uh, great to be with you all again, but uh, we are out of time, so uh, let's thank everybody. Of course, we're going to thank Mr. Cliff Truesdell. Yeah, Mr. Chuck Smith and Mr. Cole Williams. And I want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Audio Technica, Lawton Audio, Universal Audio. And I want to thank you for listening, as usual. Take care.